to this edition of the IUMI podcast. I'm Mike Elson, and today I'm particularly pleased to be joined by Michele Cibrario, who is co-head of Renewable Energy at Swiss Re and also vice-chair of IUMI's Offshore Energy Committee. Michele, welcome and many thanks for joining me. Now, we're all aware of society's ambition to move to a low-carbon future, and in this podcast we'll explore what that might mean for energy insurers over the next 10 to 20 years. So let's get stuck in and start with the premise that the world is transitioning from a reliance on fossil fuels to a rapid growth in renewable energy sources. So in broad terms, uh, Michele, how do you see this shift evolving and what will be the main components of the renewable energy portfolio going forward? Mike, thank you so much for the opportunity to have a chat. I really appreciate it. And uh, I sit in a privileged point of view um, on the reinsurance side and part of the Ayumi uh, effort that I'm supporting is really to make a little bit a sense of what's happening around us, the specific part of the marine industry affected by the energy transition. And coming to your point, I think we all are a bit thrown outside of the comfort zone when we think that having a new, entirely new source of electricity replacing a number of traditional fossil fuel sources of energy um, is throwing everybody out of, out of equilibrium and thinking, will it be enough? Uh, will there be enough energy? How long will it take to have this transition completed? What's happening in between? Let's talk about energy security. In some parts of the world, this is a very hot topic. So the criticality of clear is clear, right? Clean, green energy sources is needed for meeting the Paris objectives and have a, a sustainable living and for the future generations. That's, that's a big aspiration. Um, we still need to see significant process, progress in relation to some technology developments, financing of this uh, enormous transformation, so the, pro- the financing of each project is challenging. The grid infrastructure, the energy storage that is needed to balance this increased complex uh, system, all of these are things that need to be realized. They have quite a tight time frame because 2050 is really around the corner, if you think, to revamping the whole energy infrastructure of the world. Well, what we see today and what is the main acknowledged perspective is about 50% of the future electricity production will come from solar. Give or take around 30% will be onshore wind farming and 8% will be offshore wind farming. And this is the overview of what is today that we know, right? But there will be difficulties in some industries that will be somehow much slower than the others because they have a really very energy-intense footprint and it will be much more complicated to migrate. So just just to have a bird-eye view of what are the pain points and what is really keeping uh, insurers and reinsurers busy, that's really interesting, thank you, and that's, that's, that's a great overview of the big picture. Um, and all of this clearly will need to be assured. Um, and so there will be risks associated with these new technologies, but uh, I mean, what could be the opportunity for those insurers who can manage those risks effectively? I would categorize, you know, from a number of points of view, really, because it's not a single answer here. Complexity of the risk landscape is increasing. New asset classes, new occupancies, all of them very much exposed to cap perils, um, so to natural catastrophes, uh, more than it has been traditionally the case. And this is the case with every new technology potentially. Yeah? So there is, this is also something that, that insurers have 
have seen and have been faced for a while. The main challenges are unproven technologies, complex projects, climate change, and how the project needs to be designed to cope with the future rapid evolution of the climate, gaps in risk knowledge and, and gaps in underwriting, underwriting data. Individually, each one of these challenges discussed can be analyzed collectively. We have never had to do something like this. Uh, face all of these challenges at the same time. Insurers are good at analyzing one data point after the other. The big picture in this case is quite complicated to draw and to understand and to manage. But there is clearly a big opportunity, and this is where I would like to emphasize reinstalling the energy infrastructure and eventually winding down the old fossil fuel infrastructure currently installed. It's a major undertaking. The assets, uh, the values of the investments, all the indic economic indicators point to a major opportunity. However, insurers are challenged to develop products that meet the new needs of the uh, renewable energy market. There is flexibility, there is convergence of lines of business. So the, the complexity is there and not all the insurers especially in many, in many jurisdictions, are equipped with that, for that level of complexity. So, so there will be some winners and losers uh, along the process. And uh, I don't think the outcome is really known yet, right, or what, what will happen. I, I think it's a fascinating moment for our industry. The full transition process will take decades, but the first steps um, are fundamental for every player. There will be some early movers, we see some of the early movers, and um, there is a, f a, a big wave of second movers who are really on the starting blocks now. So I think there is a tangible sense of urgency among marine insurers of getting involved and showing to themselves, to their shareholders, to their original shorts, um, that yes, it's doable, we can be part of that, we want to par be part of a big opportunity to do something good for the environment, good for the insurance company itself, and, uh, and develop our underwriting skills in the process. Yeah, so I mean, a fascinating, interesting, and, and indeed complex um, picture going forward. But you know, I read somewhere that in terms of the insurance opportunity, both for marine and non marine, that there's a potential for renewables to generate some 237 billion US dollars between now and 2035. But I guess that will be tempered by a decline in premiums generated from traditional energy sources. Would, would that be correct? Mike, I think you're absolutely right. I, I kind of remember where the number comes from. Um, I think the figure quoted was calculated by my colleagues in the Swiss Re Think Tank and the Swiss Re Institute, and those that published the Sigma report. And this is based on the magnitude of investments needed to achieve the targets set in the Paris Agreement. We are talking about 237 billions in a very short time scale. That's the size of of the business opportunity for insurers, right? That's um, and then if you start thinking, you know, what's your market share? Um, which lines of business you're really involved? How much of that is really going into facultative, direct treaty? You know, you, you can slice and dice that. And here, I want to emphasize the push needed to start the process and to get active in a structured manner for insurers um, to be able to take part in this opportunity, right? If you've never been doing energy, 
never been underwriting power generation, the risk appetite as an insurance company has been tuned in other directions, then it's, it's even a bigger shift. So, so this is not the bread and butter of everyone. Uh, active engagement is really needed. There is a gap to plug in underwriting skills. You need to have the right understanding, develop your people. You don't want to improvise because, I mean, to be fair, you know, everybody's putting capacity into this uh, renewable energy pot of technologies. And it's a challenging field, right? You just don't improvise. But um, what I think is it's important to emphasize as well is that, and going to your question, the expected decline of the traditional energy business is part of the forecast of the International Energy Agency. Uh, in their net zero scenario, they, which is built on ultimately on the Paris Agreement target, they, they project a change in the energy mix that in 2050 will still see hydrocarbons about 20% of the energy mix. So there is a decline. But let's, let's, let's be clear, right? There are so many pushes today towards energy security and the uncertainty associated with building a major complex, much more complex energy infrastructure based on electricity. It um, shows that these uh, technologies and these um, sources of energy are all needed at the same time, all the traditional and all the new, and the phase out of the traditional will take some time. Eventually, it will be a business case as well for the major amount of decommissioning of the former infrastructure that will that, that it will happen. So so we will as insurance industry we will be faced with investments in decommissioning, decommissioning projects of the existing energy fossil fuel based infrastructure, and at the same time a ramp up of the new infrastructure. So the, the business case is, is quite compelling and it will continue for quite a while. So yeah, I think it's it's a positive news for the insurers in terms of being able and have a sustainable plan and lo relatively long-term horizon uh, of um, construction and removal of the old infrastructure. Well, you've unpacked a lot from my question so comprehensively, so thanks very much for that. Um, and it's just sticking with challenges, you did mention uh, a couple of challenges earlier on. I mean, the production of renewable energy from a range of sources, and many of those you've mentioned, will clearly give rise to a, a new portfolio of risks that insurers will need to be aware of uh, going forward. And, I mean, what do you see as the, the key challenges for, um, for those insurers? Taking an overall high-level view, there are three main challenges, specifically for renewable energy insurers. Matcap accumulation is, has always been important. It's getting even more important when you consider the impact of climate change on prototypical technology installed um, in potentially a lot of new places, lot, lots of new places, fine. Uh, in a very um, dispersed way in many countries and many territories. That's clear. Technological development, yes. Prototypical is something that insurance insurers don't necessarily like to handle too much, and that's exactly the case in many of those emerging technologies. Bearing in mind, we have not seen the second wave of renewable technologies. So the full-scale development of hydrogen, carbon capture, and sequestration and others that will be at the forefront at a certain point uh, that we might not even have seen at all yet, right? 
The third, so, so I mentioned Netcat, I mentioned technology development, and the third key main challenge is energy storage. It's not just battery storage, it's not just hydrodams, it's the whole concept of having a sophisticated, much more complex electricity grid um, interconnected in a way that we have not seen before through um, multiple countries and with enormous balancing needs. So again, something totally new or something that we've seen before but in a totally new scale. I would go on and mention that some of the key risks are really attaching to specific technologies. So for example, speaking about battery storage and, and energy storage in general, fire and, and flood risks are really relevant for battery storage, maybe arguably more than for other technologies. And challenging locations for new hydro then constructions because the nice spots have been already taken up. Um, it's a technology that is well known and developed, right? So either it's a new country or it's a new location, which is not ideal, but we build the dam anyway because that's where it's needed. And it's a marginal improvement and a marginal increase in the electricity production, so we want that. But the location is challenging. For solar photovoltaic, uh, natural catastrophe is a problem um, where the insurers will start um, providing coverage um, for defective parts, for uh, manufacturer warranties that have expired. All these things have to be clarified. Um, I'm thinking obviously to hail um, and micro cracking for solar photovoltaic. Operating in the offshore environment has always been challenging. That's what the offshore upstream energy industry has been doing for the last, say, we will take 70, 80 years. In many uh, jurisdictions, having offshore floating maybe wind farms opens a whole different level of complexity in the offshore environment. And this is a convergence of engineering and marine lines of business. Managing the wind and the solar volatility as, a, as the volatility of resource, of the natural resource, right? The wind and the solar radiation are being alternating, and especially the wind not being, not being able to really forecast to the last dot. Um, it opens a whole different level of complexity. So I, I will pause here, but again, NatCat, Accumulation risk, technology development, and energy storage, I think, are the key ones, the, 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 the motives, the, the topics that will keep every one of us busy for, for a foreseeable number of years. Yeah, a great summary of those key challenges. Thank you very much for that. And you did talk um, a little bit about uh, offshore and offshore renewables, but if I may just sort of um, draw you on that just a little, so specifically for offshore renewables, I mean, what do you see as the, the core potential there, I mean, both in terms of offshore activities as well as the specific insurance potential? One of the key added values when we talk to, to, to the industry, one of the key values is consistent access to a stronger and more stable wind pattern. That means a stable and sustained and potentially higher production of electricity. Everything else being equal from the same wind farm when it is placed in a coastal area or straight into the sea as against being on the hills inland somewhere. So higher energy that can be extracted from the infrastructure at the same time, the same infrastructure, once in the water, has the potential to cost a multiple of times more. Business, the business case for that project to go offshore gets much more complicated. The minimum scale of the project really increases to have a sustainable internal rate of return. 
from the point of view of the developer. And the insurers are faced with higher complexity of the project, a big premium amount, yes, but also tremendously larger exposure. So the, the elements are all in, are all linked. Now, pressure to build offshore also comes from a very simple um, consideration that people, not necessarily people like to see the wind farms, just like they never like to really see a nuclear power plant next to their house. I mean, this is nothing new, right? But the opportunity is there to place the wind farm beyond the horizon, similar to what happened to the oil platforms, the oil rigs, right? If you build them beyond the horizon, just beyond, the social acceptance of these infrastructures is much higher. So that's also a push to go farther away from land, which in deeper water will drive the cost of the infrastructure higher, the length of the cables bringing the electricity to shore longer, and so on, right? So it adds a complicating factor. Managing ocean projects require a level of research expertise and involvement of offshore contractors that have unique expertise. The expertise is there, but again, the complexity increases. The investments are getting bigger. Timeline for construction is longer. You need new harbors. It's a whole different level. But this is the complexity, right? That's, that, that's, that's what is the offshore complexity. Um, typical of, of activities located in the sea. Uh, nothing totally new, to be honest. It's just that um, our marine insurance world is geared to that. So not everyone is active in energy upstream. When energy upstream becomes energy generation, electricity generation, the business case is more compelling to be involved in this industry. And the level of technical challenges it's much higher than most of the people would expect. Again, upskilling, um, having the sufficient capital to invest in this line, in this emerging line of business, getting the underwriters, the engineering underwriters to work with the marine underwriters to work with the energy upstream underwriters. And so a number of skills need to converge to really be able to underwrite properly these risks. Yeah. It's simple. It's underwriting to a next level. Yeah, so I mean, clearly a lot of complexity there, but also a lot of potential and a lot of opportunity for um, for offshore renewables. I mean, again, all of which needs to be uh, needs to be covered and, uh, and insured. So I'm just thinking that are there any specific issues that you want to highlight um, that marine insurers need to be aware of moving forward? Mike, we, we spoke in the... Um, at the last Ayumi conference, fantastic venue, fantastic place, uh, and always very insightful discussions. And inside the Offshore Energy Committee, when we had our morning discussion on the Sunday morning before the kickoff of the conference, we touched about some of these topics. First, specific issues that marine insurers need to be aware of when getting involved in upstream and renewable energy offshore is the availability of installation and supply vessels. The fleet that is suitable for installing offshore wind farms is small, it's not always available, it's booked years in advance by new projects, and the fact that the projects are getting more complex and the, and the turbines 
higher and wider means that the, is the, the availability of vessels is actually shrinking because you need bigger vessels that are just being built now, right? And not in a sufficient number. So that's the first point, availability of installation and supply vessels for the wind farms. Availability and the capability of ship uh, semi um, well, components, components for these wind farms, so the project cargo associated to the building of the wind farms. And actually, if I look at the whole value chain, availability of the raw materials that comprise steel, that comprise copper, that comprise a number of um, metals uh, and everything that is related to creating and building the key components that need to be shipped across half of the globe, potentially. Um, in dedicated cargo shipments called project cargo to, uh, to 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 reach site and be installed, right? So that's the second point. Complexity we mentioned already, and I would honestly mention as a specific issue the keen competitiveness in a global market where all actors across the entire value chain have a lot are suffering of intense competitive pressure, while where insurers have net zero targets to achieve uh, for their portfolios, and therefore both the original industry is very competitive and also the insurance market at the moment is quite keen to be on these risks. Yeah, no, fully understood, and that's a great summary. Thanks very much. And look, we're almost running out of time, but let me ask you one last question, if I may. Um, I guess looking ahead to 10 or 20 years, what do you think will be the new normal for the offshore energy market? And what will today's marine underwriters need to do to adapt for that? We, we can call it in many ways, but I think the way to, to mention this in, in a nutshell is that we see the convergence in the upstream, in the offshore, of the upstream and of the wind farming technologies. Lines of business converging as a consequence of that. Project integration in the offshore is proceeding quicker than we could anticipate four or five years ago. So this is happening. We see electrification from shore of the oil rigs in some jurisdiction. Wind farms that are built and operated to power the oil rigs. Floating wind farms are on the horizon. Let's watch carefully this space and what is happening there. And we'll see at the moment it's not really anybody's appetite, risk appetite, because the complexity and the challenges are, are tremendous. But but this is something that will be needed in some key countries where the deep water is just really next to shore. Carbon capture and reinjection and storage, we, we mentioned that. That's going to be a key technology developing. Um, this is a commentary shared by the majority of the commentators in, the, in our industry uh, and in the energy industry. And, uh, and the insurance com industry is gearing up to be able to better for that. Those, these projects considering carbon. Will have an integrated nature again across lines of business because the business case is there only when you consider the, the whole value chain of capturing a source, transporting and reinjecting somewhere. And individual pieces of the, of the process don't make any sense. The value is where you can really dispose of the carbon. Uh, so difficult to say in 10 or 20 years time what will happen. But in terms of upskilling uh, the today's marine underwriters, there's no doubt that we should all spend a couple of hours a week start studying the news uh, from the uh, technical press and starting to have a proper upskilling of our all underwriting base and um, getting ready.
Well, look, that's great advice. Um, thank you very much. An awful lot to think about and so much more to discuss, but sadly we're out of time, and that brings us to the end of this podcast. Um, Michaela, if I may say so, that was a truly fascinating insight into what the future might hold for energy underwriters going forward. There's clearly a lot to discuss, uh, a lot to consider, and change is most definitely afoot. So, look, thank you so much for giving us your time and for giving us your expertise today. It really is uh, much appreciated. Thank you very much indeed. And to our listeners, many thanks for joining us and do be sure to catch us again for another IUMI podcast. <laughs>